Welcome to the Dr. Dion Show, where real conversations about diversity matter. I'm an educator and consultant specializing in diversity and inclusion. In this show, I interview top experts and people like you and me, highlighting issues like race, gender, and disability. I'm here to create change, expand your understanding of what diversity means, and to continue the mission toward equality so that everyone has a fair shake. This show is not for the faint of heart, so put on your big girl and big boy pants and ride along. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show. I'm really excited. Today we're going to talk about something that's very topical, uh, that's present in pretty much everyone's business environment, everyone's family. We're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about what it is, how we learned it, how do you cope with it, how do you address it with a, an expert in this area. I am joined by Mr. Douglas Knoll, who is a lawyer turned peacemaker, teacher, mediator, and also a best-selling author. And Douglas actually works in prisons. He works in K-12 schools, Fortune 500 companies, and we're also going to talk about his latest assignment, which is working with the U.S. government. Woo, that's going to be amazing. Thank you so much, Douglas, for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so excited. I, I don't know where to start, but I will start with you saying to us who you are. I just kind of gave an introduction, but can you give us a little more of your background? Sure. I am a native Californian and uh, grew up in Southern California, went back east to Dartmouth, graduated from Dartmouth. In those days, if you didn't want to become a doctor, you became a lawyer. So, <laughs> so I came back to California, went to law school in the mid-1970s and graduated. And uh, I clerked for a judge for a year and then went into private practice in 1978 and, and in September of 1978. And in November of 1978, I tried my first jury trial. And that's how my career started. Wow. So I, I started trying cases uh, right out of the box and did that for 22 years. And then through a series of events that I won't bore you with, I decided that practicing law was not really the highest use of my talents, so I went back to school and earned my master's degree in peacemaking and conflict studies, mm -hmm. being trained by the Mennonites, which is one of the three traditional really? peace churches, and left the practice of law and started mediating and teaching and becoming a peacemaker. And along the way, of course, I'm being called to walk into these very hostile environments and deep conflicts, and I had not been properly prepared or trained on how to de-escalate conflict. And through happenstance, I stumbled across an idea just by pure, I don't know, it, I, my back was up against the wall in this mediation. I had nothing else to do and the idea came to me. So I tried it and it worked. And it worked so well that I started practicing it and then teaching it. And then uh, a couple of years later, uh, a scan, brain scanning study came out by neuroscientist Matthew Lieberman out of UCLA that, where he tested this idea and showed wh why in the brain this, this skill this idea is so powerful and how it works biophysiologically. Interesting. So I spent a lot, I've spent in my, starting in my master's degree and up till today, I spent a lot of time reading the literature mm -hmm. uh, in neuroscience and behavioral economics to, because the, as I talk about the new science of human behavior and, and what science is telling us today is we are not who we think we are. Plato was wrong, Socrates was wrong, Aristotle was wrong, um, huh. everybody was wrong. I mean, those, are some, those are some powerful statements. That's right. Well, they had a very flawed view of human nature, and so, that flawed, that flawed view of human nature has been incredibly destructive. Can you can you, can you 
Wow. Okay. So let's. So you 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 mentioned it. What what is it? And can you get what into that? that we are not, yeah. The it is. This is what is uh, kind of mind blowing for people. We are ninety eight percent emotional, and only two percent rational. We are not rational beings. Wow. And when you make that shift, when you understand that's who, that's who we are, everything we do is emotional. There is nothing we do that is not emotional. Hmm. When you make that shift and begin to understand the power of emotions in ourselves and in other people, everything changes. And um, the, the, the deadly thing about this is that when we perceive that we are, when we believe that we're rational beings, okay. when, we, when we, our true selves emerge as emotional beings, we we tend to deny that and we invalidate it mm -hmm. and that is deeply traumatizing. So, okay. So, okay. sorry. So, so is, so is that, um, I, I, I so it, those are not permanent percentages. Would you say that? Or because I oh, think absolutely. I mean, you can, I mean, I'm making up the numbers, but I mean, you can look, yeah, I can, I can give you a proof of 98%, 2% in on any different number of different levels. I mean, if you just really? take, Take the amount of our brain mass devoted to rational thinking compared to the amount of brain mass uh, devoted to emotional processing, and it's about 98% to 2%. If you, if you wow. think about in terms of con our consciousness and what we do day to day, every day, less than 2% of our daily mental activity is rational thinking. The rest of it's all emotional. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's, that's I mean, you can measure this. You can, you can take this in any way. You can't even be rational unless you're emotional first. Because emotions make us pay attention to our environment. Yes, yes. And if we, if we weren't emotional, how would we know what to pay attention to? How would we know when to even apply reasoning or logic or critical thinking to a problem if we didn't have an emotional reaction to the environment that caused us to want Very to true. use it? And, and the reason for that is that that kind of thinking, Kahneman calls it, Daniel Kahneman, the Nobel laureate uh, social psychologist who got the Nobel in economics for prospect theory, Mm -hmm. System two thinking and system two thinking is the hard, slow, conservative, what we call rational thinking that takes up a huge amount of bandwidth, a huge amount of metabolism and is reserved only for rare problems. Everything else that we do is system one thinking and that's wow. all. They okay, so then, so then, so then, so you're saying basically that um, being called emotional was not necessarily a bad thing. That's, it's a normal thing. It's, a, it's normal. So when we, and that's right, and look at the languaging that we use around that oh, kind yeah. of we say drama queen, or we say high maintenance, or we say irrational, or we say all these pejorative terms around emotionality when all a person is being is normal. And think, and, and here's where the abuse comes in, emotional invalidation. Imagine the two-year-old, two-year little boy who, who falls and skins his knee and starts to cry, and he's crying, and he says, it hurts, it hurts. And so what do people tell him? They say, oh, grow up, don't cry, don't be a sissy, be a man. Uh, oh, it doesn't hurt. Oh, it'll all go away soon. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh -huh. Completely invalidating the fact that he is in pain, mm -hmm. and he's scared, and he's frightened, and he needs to be soothed in that moment. And 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 we do this to every single one of our children. And it is the, why we have prisons. It's why we have prisons. Children are not born as murderers. Okay. They're going to be murderers. Okay. Yeah. So let's, okay, let's go there. That, that's that's a good segue to my question because. I'll, okay, I'll accept, and, and, and that's very fascinating about um, us being 98% emotional and 2% rational. Um, so, so given that we're, we all have the, that, that, um, that percentage makeup, um, we don't all, um, what's the word? We don't, we don't all show who we, sorry, I'm trying to find the right way to say it. We don't demonstrate our emotionality in the same manner. Like, so you use the word normal. There are some people who behave um, there's certain there's certain standards of behavior, decorum, 
um, just just epidemics that we see in society that, that just that are that are acceptable as normal. But there's some people who go beyond that, i.e., people who are in prison and so on. So how do you how do you explain that? So it's, sorry, Matt, that's the word. Matt, that gets into the whole that gets into the whole big question that is now just now being studied, which is the idea of resiliency. Mm -hmm. People in prison. I work with murderers. I train murderers to be peacemakers in maximum security prisons. Right? Wow. I've been doing it for Ten years, and every single inmate I've ever worked with whether male or female, is a deeply traumatized human being. And when you hear those stories, you say, well, no wonder you're in here. Mm. So the question is, how is it that a person ends up in prison because it took a lot, somebody's life, and somebody in the same circumstance ends up being a, a law professor or a, 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 has a PhD in, in adult education? I'm not saying <laughs> that. I mean, you get my point. I mean, you can have people coming from these horrible backgrounds and the, 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 the secret is a, 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 something known as resiliency. Mm -hmm. Some people are more resilient than others, and no, we're, scientists are trying to understand what that is. Okay. Uh, and we, and we, don't, we don't understand what it is. It's, it's, it's very hard to predict why, why some children will go some, one way and other children will go the other way. But mm -hmm. how bad it is, I mean, neuroscientists today can scan a four-year-old's brain and tell you with 80% probability whether that child's going to prison or not. No way. Oh yeah. Wow. That's great. That's and, and that brain and that brain formation is all based on upbringing. It's not, it's not genetic. It's how that child has been treated from gestation. Actually, this, in the second trimester of pregnancy, the brain starts to form. Neurons are forming at 250,000 neurons per second. That's how fast they're growing and reproducing for the, for the, up until about a couple wow. of weeks before delivery. If that mom is stressed or addicted mm -hmm. or violence or isn't eating well, guess what's happening to those neurons that are forming at 250,000 neurons per second. And so that baby's brain is coming out non-functional or, or less than optimal. Then the child is probably being born into an environment that the mother's stressed into an environment that is not I, healthy. I, I'm, that baby's brain is just not going to form the right way. I love what you're saying because, you know, I, I always, and I don't mean to critical, but be critical of anybody, but I'll tell you, I have gone to some movies. I don't like watching things that, that, mess up my spirit or just make me feel uncomfortable. But there are times where I've gone to movies and I've seen pregnant women in like these scary situations. And I know for me, when I had my children, I was, I had my, I, I made sure I tried to stay calm. I wasn't looking at things that were disruptive because I really believe that the, 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 oh, the, the, stress, the stress would go to the baby. So, so, the, so I love that you shared that. So, okay. So, so post birth, okay. you, did, you did share so, that people, so so here's, 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 yeah, here's what happens developmentally. So a baby's born. We think a baby is this wet little mewling mess of nothing. That baby is going through an amazing and profound transformation from the moment of birth mm -hmm. up until really adulthood. Mm -hmm. And the, the baby brain is, is uh, using a process known as stochastic interpretation. And basically this is new science. And, the, and what babies are doing is our brains are predicting machines. We predict what's going to happen. We, and we maybe have 10 scenarios set up in our brain at any given moment based on our experience. Uh -huh. And so what the baby is learning to do is it's learning experientially how to predict what's going to happen in its environment. Yes. So it's not reacting to its environment. It's predicting what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. Because the only way we can react as fast as we do is because we're predicting, not reacting. Yes. So this whole idea of cause and effect is, just turns out not to be true in, mm -hmm. in, in the human brain. Anyways, this baby is going through this incredible learning curve. And in the beginning, babies don't have emotions. Emotions are socially constructed. What they have are, are what is known as affect, which is the biological reaction of the brain 
to environmental cues. The, the biological part of our, of our, our brains and central nervous system that causes us to either feel pleasure or not pleasure. And it starts out very binary, and then, and then over a period of time, we, especially when babies start to get language, they start to be able to label or categorize the, feel, the affect they have into what we call emotions. Emotions define culture. Emotions define relationships between human beings, and, and emotions vary from culture, culture to culture. So there are some societies that have words for emotions that don't exist in the English language. Uh -huh. In English, we have words for emotions that don't exist in other, in other cultures. Mm -hmm. So emotions are what define us. And to the degree that we are able to categorize our emotions and granularize that categorization so we have, a, we have very refined ability to, to articulate how we're feeling in the moment, we are mentally very healthy. But what happens when you tell, a, tell that two-year-old boy, little boy with a skinny knee that he, that he doesn't feel pain, that it doesn't hurt, that it's not good, to, that, it, that, that he's going to be a sissy or don't be a man and don't cry? You're okay. telling him emotions are bad. That's right. And so you're absolutely denying his physical reality in that moment. Exactly. And the emotional centers of the brain that are coming online at two years old are stunted mm -hmm. because they aren't because we need to help our children develop an emotional vocabulary to help them understand what they're feeling. We do exactly the opposite. And that causes them to be going to denial, to repress, to feel empty, to be angry, to become drug addicted, to have for women especially imposter syndrome, where uh -huh. they feel like they're fakes. Yeah, adults, even though there's, you know, there's have superior intellect and superior stuff, they feel like they're fakes. A whole horrible panoply of behavior and mental states occurs because we emotionally invalidate our children. Wow. Because we're not allowing the brain to develop the proper way. And instead of developing the brain by helping a child overcome his or her, uh, uh, not overcome the emotions, but understand, accept, validate, and embrace emotions, we yes. tell them that emotions are bad. Now that's in a healthy family. In an unhealthy family, um, the kid might be beaten, might be starved, might be neglected. Uh, all kinds of ba other bad things can happen. Be in a family divorce or a, a parent in prison or addictive disorder or mental illness. That child's brain is really gonna get screwed up, which is why we see this generational transfer of mental illness, stress, um, and problem from generation to generation to generation. The trauma just keeps perpetrating itself. Yes. When I was working in the largest, most violent women's prison in the world back in 2012, there were three generations of women in the same wow. cell. Grandma, Ma, wow. and Ma all in the same prison. The and same that, that, that can't be by chance, obviously. No. Yeah. No. And and so what you're saying is so so the way I was I was a little daunted by you, you just, your description that you said what well, that happens in a in a healthy family where you're told where kids are yeah. told. Okay, I, yeah, that's the, which is really sad. And I will say just you know because of the benefit of my my, my training as a, as an educator and, and learning child psychology and so on, I I I do understand um, how it can be how you can really hurt a child if you tell them you know what you're not feeling what you're feeling or or that you're 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 making things up and you're you're overreacting and so on. So can we transition that to 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 adulthood because right. um, you know I, we talked off, off camera that um. And, and sometimes in my work, people have to actually address issues. And there's some people who have like zero voice. And so I've asked them, where did you learn not to, not to use your voice? Or when did you learn that, you, that your voice did not matter? And it always goes back to childhood. So, so for you to put that in context, it's, it's, it's really alarming. So what, what needs to be done? And are you doomed if, if you've had that trauma in childhood 
and and now you're an adult and now you're trying to find ways to cope with the anger and emotional um, stresses that you have. Find somebody who knows how to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big advocate of, of counseling. So, well, yeah, but most of the counselors and therapists don't know what they're doing. Frankly, they don't. Really? I, I, no, because we're not seeing, there are very few clinical studies that show that psychotherapy really works. And I know there are going to be a lot of people pissed off right now, but the, here's the hard reality. <laughs> You're going to get some hate mail. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind it. Um, Good for you. There's a huge war going on right now between psychiatry, psychology, and neuroscience, because the uh -huh. neuroscience is showing us what reality is. And mm. psychologists are, and psychiatrists, you know, all of their disciplines are based on old, old, old myths. That, uh -huh. I mean, like Freudian myths. Freudian, Freud was just, not only was he, well, he was a genius, mm -hmm. but he was dead wrong. Mm -hmm. Every woman he worked with, he had his data set were 16 middle-class Viennese women. He based all his theories on working really? with women. That's it. And his huh. data, the one thing that the one thing that he, he that nobody knows is that every single one of those women was sexually traumatized as a child, sexually abused or raped. Wow. He tried to bring that to everybody's attention, but but in in late 19th century Vienna, as a Jewish guy trying to become a doctor in the university. He was completely repulsed by the idea, by, by his peers saying, no, sexual trauma doesn't exist. They were in complete denial over the male abuse of the women. Wow. So he had to make up a whole new theory about why these women were having the problems they had. And it was totally false. And he knew it. That's crazy. And yet, and a, whole, a whole 20th century idea of psychology and psychotherapy and everything's based on the lies of Freud. Re wow. Very, very fascinating. Very fascinating. And, and so, so when I think of, there are, there are many counselors and therapists who are excellent in what they do because they intuitively understand about emotions and they okay. intuitively understand how to work. But I can guarantee you their training did not take, take them in that direction. They found out about it the same way I did, the mm -hmm. hard way, stumbling upon the idea that if I reflect back emotions, yeah. then I'm going to see some really positive results. And that's exactly, the guy who started that was Carl Rogers, mm -hmm. mid-20th century humanist psychologist. He stumbled on it. Unfortunately, Carl was not a scholar. He wrote a lot of books, beautiful books, was well regarded as a guy who got great clinical results, but nobody could figure out what he was doing. And his work was completely misinterpreted. Mm. And he talked about having a positive, uh, an unconditional positive regard for, for the other, which okay. is what he wrote about. Well, that's emotional val validation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he was simply validating the emotional experiences of his patients in a very deep way and got incredible clinical results. Wow. But he wasn't able to articulate what he was doing. Uh -huh. People were watching him and it looked like he was just mirroring them. So that's where we got into this bullshit around active listening. <laughs> we all know it's total BS. That all came from a misinterpretation of what Carl Rogers was doing. Wow. I love that. I love that. Okay, so, so okay, go ahead. Let me just tell you, I'll just tell you the secret. It's very elegant and very simple. Number mm -hmm. one, ignore the words. Number two, read the emotional data fields of who, who it is that's angry or upset. And three, reflect back their emotions with a simple use statement. You are angry. You feel sad. You feel grief. You feel betrayed. Nobody's listening to you. Nobody's supporting you. You feel abandoned and unloved. And so, but, okay. Uh, so, and do you, so you think that the, that de-escalates situations by saying that? Uh, it, uh, it, it, it's, it, it, there's, a, there's empirical scientific evidence that shows why it works. Yes. That's the Lieberman study in 2007. Mm -hmm. Brain scanning, you put people in, the, in, the, uh, in a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, scanning their brains, got them emotionally aroused, affect labeled them, that's what this is called, and watched what happened. Yes. And the emotional centers of the brain quieted down in less than 30 seconds, and the prefrontal cortex came back online. Mm -hmm. So now that's why it you said- every time 
first time without failure. That's Very why I teach in prisons. When I walk into maximum security prisons and teach murderers how to be peacemakers, I better have something that works. I would say so. <laughs> there is no room for error in these violent environments. And I teach these men and women how to de-escalate angry, violent inmates. And mm. they do it every single time. And wow. it, gets, it gets to the point where in some institutions, the correctional staff actually call out our mediators to help because they don't want to mess with it. Wow. They call out some of our trained and skilled people to actually de-escalate situations in cells or rooms or dorms or wherever. Okay, so here's a question that just, just came to my head. So, came to mind. So, based upon your, obviously your empirical evidence going into prisons and, 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 and implementing your, your strategy and, and, and your, 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 um, your proven work, do you believe that people can be re rehabilitated? And do you think Absolutely. that people- 99% yes, 99% of them can be. There is a small group wow. of people who are mentally ill who are a danger to themselves and a danger to society and they need to be institutionalized. Some, I don't think it should be prisons, but 99% of the people in prison don't belong there. Wow, so that means- in my, view, in my view, I'm a lawyer, I'm a law professor, and I will make this statement. The problem with crime is not a legal problem. It is a public health problem. Yes. And it yes. has to be addressed as a public health problem. Exactly. As long as we refuse to recognize that crime is a public health problem, then we are gonna spend billions and billions of dollars, wasted dollars on the criminal justice system in prisons. In California, $13 billion a year on prisons, $9 billion a year on education. Well, we, okay, well, because it's, it's, it's a business. We, 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 we do know that. And, oh, and, sure. and to your point, it's in, I, and I like to say it's like a social issue because for example, if someone goes into a grocery store and, and they, they buy meat and they, they put it, they, they hide it in their purse. Is that a criminal issue or a social issue? That they, they obviously, they're doing it because they have to eat. So well, I agree with always, you. It's always contextual. But even, even in a homicide, mm -hmm. I mean, we have, and I do not mean to diminish the, 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 the offense at all. I yes. mean, how we go about solving the problem is what I'm talking about. So, because people get victimized and traumatized and they're, they're totally innocent and their lives are ruined by, by, a random, by random acts of violence, they need to be taken care of, absolutely. But we're not gonna solve the problem by locking up people. We've got to treat them in a different way. I hear you. There are some people who are motivated to change and there are other people who are not motivated to change. And I see this every day in prison. Wow. Those who are motivated to change should be given that opportunity and they will change. Uh -huh. and productive citizens. And we have to figure out a way to deal with victims. Right now, the way we deal with victims is atrocious. Absolutely. Well, they, and they become re-victimized all the time. They're totally re-victimized. And so, so the whole system is a complete, the whole criminal justice system is a complete failure at doing what we want to do, which is to help victims, help, help preserve order and safety in the community, mm -hmm. provide some sense of justice, and deal with offenders in a way that, that, that rehabilitates them in a way that, that yes. is horribly costly to society. None of that happens. Wow. And so, so in essence, I'm, I'm sure you, when, you, when you encounter um, many of the people in prisons, that, that that's probably the first time they've actually had a chance to actually share their trauma and what they've gone through. That's right. I'll bet. That's after, they, after they've committed something that's so heinous. That puts I them take, I, that's right. I routinely take these big, big gangbangers. I just was in Corker State Prison the, on Tuesday. Wow. Training, I was supervising some, my new inmate trainers who were training their first cohort of peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, there's a guy in the prison, he's, he's probably, I'm six, I'm six one and 225 pounds. I'm a big guy and I'm a secondary black belt. I mean, no, nobody messes with me. Wow. Um, awesome. But here's a guy who's six six and probably more like 280 pounds. I mean, he makes me look little. Mm -hmm. All tatted up, they're all tatted up. I had him in tears in 90 seconds. Wow. 
because I was able to listen to him into existence for the first time in his life. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I love what you're doing. I really love what you're doing. So can we shift gears for a second? And, and uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about what's happening right now in the country. I, you did say that uh, off camera that, you're, that you've been invited to, to help train uh, the congressional staff, is it? Yeah, after, right after Labor Day, the week after, the, the days after Labor Day, I'm going back to Washington, D.C. and spending two days training the senior managers at the Congressional Budget Office in all of these de-escalation strategies because they are finding that dealing with Congress is really difficult. And, well, and they're, they're dealing with a lot of anger. They're dealing with a lot of people who have fixed beliefs who don't want to listen to the evidence. Uh-huh. What I'm going to basically teach them is that we are 98% emotional and 2% rational. You cannot solve an emotional problem with logic. Yes. And no matter, and whenever you try to be rational with somebody who's emotional, you give your power away and you make them even more emotional and angry than they already are. Okay. Well, let's, we need to go there. So, so right now we have someone in power who, right. who, who demonstrates a lot of anger um, right. through retaliation. I see passive aggressive behaviors as well. Um, just, you know, through the tweets and, and, and just what we're, what we're seeing. And, and I, I firmly believe that um, the, body, the body doesn't do what the head doesn't know. So in, in other words, if you're just treating the, the body part, meaning the, the, the Congress, and not addressing the behavior of the head, the president and his behaviors, how, how is that going to work? And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to know, and, and not to criticize him as a person, because there's something going on there clearly. Um, to go back to my, my point about the fact that we don't all demonstrate our emotion, our emotional behavior the same way. But can you can you talk about that? Because it's I think it'd be very well, important to all of yes. us to hear your analysis. I work at this level very granularly. So, for example, if I can, if 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 I'm successful in training people in the de-escalation strategies, and they can go in and they can start calming other people down, mm-hmm. and they can learn how to deal with deep-seated entrenched beliefs that are emotional, not rational, mm-hmm. one person at a time there's a slow change that occurs. And then that slow change becomes viral and it, it, it grows. I've, yes. seen, I've seen 10 men change the culture of a prison in a year. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's a, it starts off very slowly and very small person to person and then it grows from there. Yes. If you, take somebody, you take somebody like President Trump who, who was obviously deeply traumatized as a child. I mean, obviously deeply. You think so? Oh, uh, he, there's no other, that's the only reason he has the behavior that he has. He's, he, he, he is not a critical thinker. He is totally emotional. Whatever comes into his head goes out of his mouth. Uh-huh. And we're on to tw- on to tw- Twitter. And it, he's got, from my perspective, as a peacemaker, he's a highly volatile, emotionally reactive human being mm. who is deeply suffering and in deep pain and deep distress. And he doesn't probably even know it. But mm-hmm. but how can you live in that kind of anger and that kind of and that kind of um, world being that way and being totally defensive, afraid all? Fearful all the time that people are going to take you down. Yes. Fearful that your reputation is, is not what you think it is, unless you're a deeply distressed, deeply humiliated, deeply suffering human being. Wow. That's where it's coming from. And, and, and you're, in, you're in tough shape if, you, if, you're, if you're a leader and you don't know who your, your friends and enemies are. You can't distinguish between the two of them. No. Because, because I mean, he's built up so many defenses, obviously, around, around all of this from his life experiences that it's impo- now that he's sitting in the top seat, you know, all of, all of those things that allowed him to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, probably adaptive behaviors when he was in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and in Manhattan, but they're maladaptive in the White House. So then, so then, okay, and he's, he's in his, his season is 70. So, so would you, how would you, how would you factor in age? Because I think that the, the older you get, the more kind of 
you know, crystallize, I guess, your behaviors become. And, 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 and if, you, if you couple that with having power and you're rich, then, and, and, and people are still around you, kind of, kind of um, facilitating what you're doing and supporting and, 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 and validating, then, then where's the incentive to change? You still, do, still think you're okay? I mean, people ask me, well, what could you do? And I said, I probably couldn't do anything. Mm. This guy doesn't want to change. Mm -hmm. He has no interest in getting out of his pain. No interest. Because wow. if, he have, if he didn't have interest, if he had even a moment of self-reflection, yes. and really wanted to escape his pain, he'd do something about it. But he's in such deep pain that he can't see that he is in deep pain. Uh -huh. and, and so he's gonna continually be highly emotionally reactive and emotionally uncontrolled and totally self-aware. Mm -hmm. He's not gonna change. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. That's, that's, that's really sad. And, and uh, hopefully the voters, the voters will, will do something. Well, I, I, I <laughs> hope so. It's, it's kind of looking that way, like the midterm elections might be, might be uh, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what party you're in, if you have that kind of brain that's so dysfunctional, yes. you're, you're a danger. Absolutely. And, and, and I know you see it in your work and I see it in my work. I, I'm, I'm actually floored at the, at the incidents that I'm addressing these days because in the past it was, people just kind of do things kind of you know, subtly and you know, just kind of backdoor. But now people are just, they are blatant in what they're saying and what they're doing. And I think because they've been given license to, to, be, to do that. That's right. And, well, look, we don't have any good role models. Exactly. All of our role models use anger and fear and these strong negative emotions as motivators to get, to get the vote out or to be, keep people in their place. And so we don't have any peacemakers who are good role models. We don't have any people in power who know how to de-escalate, who can be calm, who yes. can be quiet and respectful. And so when a kid is growing up and all he sees around him is violence and meanness and anger, uh, and, and adults are reflecting that, that's all, that's all we learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then, so how are you going to approach your, your, your work with, I don't want to obviously get into your details, but, but how do you, how are you going to approach your work with, 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 the, with the Congress and, and having- uh, with, I mean, the, the fun thing about working with people like the Congressional Budget Office is those people are some of the smartest people on the planet. Uh -huh. They don't get their jobs unless they are super, super smart. So I'm going to be working with a lot of PhDs and guys with double degrees and women with JD PhDs. I mean, some really, really smart people. Mm -hmm. And my big wake up call to them is, guess what? You're 98% emotional and 2% rational. Get over mm -hmm. it. Once I, if I can get them to make the shift Capitol Hill as emotional beings, not rational beings, and then give them the skill sets necessary to read emotions and work with the emotions rather than fight the emotions, they will have a whole new set of tools that they can add to their toolbox that I hope will make them much more effective. They're already very effective and I'm just hoping to notch their game up. I love that, I love that. And, and I looked at one of your videos and, and you, did, you talked about, um, you, you did actually say that people should stop being nice. Yes. Yes. Can, you, can you explain so, that? So we're dealing with angry people. I mean, there, there, there are, you know, the, the, three, the three shifts that people have to make. Stop being nice, stop being, don't be nice, stop being rational, and um, ignore the words. So when we talk about being nice, whenever you try to be nice to an angry person or an arrogant person or a verbally aggressive person, what happens? Usually, well, I think they, they continue doing it. <laughs> they keep doing it. It doesn't work. Exactly. And what happens is you give your power away. And the reason for that is because, well, the reason that being nice doesn't work is because when you're nice, you are perceived as weak. And when you're weak, you're not safe. And when you're right. not safe, all you're doing is propagating the fear reaction 
in in the in the in the person who's angry or arrogant. You're uh -huh. just propagating their behavior by being nice. Why are we nice? Because that's the way we were acculturated as children. Well, we yes. be nice. Obey your betters. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. All those childhood rules, which are really important, don't work in the adult business world. <laughs> they don't work. And yet nobody teaches you the real rules. And the, and the secret is, and this is where the sophistication comes in, is that you can't be nice, but you can't be mean either. Sure. So that means you have to cultivate social power and social status and learn the skills of adulthood. Mm -hmm. where, how do you talk? How do you use your voice? How do you use your body language? How do you use eye contact? How do you, how do you project yourself and portray yourself? And how do you hold yourself? in a way, in a, an adult way that says, don't mess with me. Yes, exactly. I demand, and demand respect. And every person, no matter where they are in the hierarchy, can learn the skills to hold themselves in a position of high social power, even though hier hierarchically they're low, on, low, in the, low in the hierarchy, in the organization. Absolutely. They demand respect. And those people who learn these skills rise in the hierarchy because they are perceived as wise and powerful and thoughtful even though they're not rational, they're being emotional. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you think about it, all of this stuff is, nothing's rational about hierarchy and power, it's all emotional. That's right. See, so now, stop, but, being, stop being nice, there's no point in being nice. It doesn't, it doesn't help you. And the other part, of course, the second shift is stop being rational. Mm -hmm. People who are emotional and angry are emotional, they're not rational. When, we, when you try to be rational with people who are angry, upset, or arrogant, Again, it's the same thing. You're being perceived as weak. And what's our common experience? You try to give somebody a justification or a reason for why you did something and they just scream at you. I don't care why you did what you did. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They're being emotional. So you cannot solve an emotional problem with logic. You simply cannot do it. And we should stop trying. So that, gets, mm -hmm. that gets us to the third step, which uh -huh. is ignore the words. And you focus on how you feel words but the words yeah the words mean nothing when people are angry yes we've got to pay attention to the emotions mm -hmm. the words read the emotional data fields reflect back the emotions with a simple use statement it's that easy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can calm down anybody in a rage in less than 90 seconds wow every wow. single time once you once you've learned the skills and mastered it it works every time without failure because our heart our brains are hardwired for it I love that, but uh, but I, I will and I, I love every, I think I love everything you're saying there, and I'll say too that there that um to some extent I have dealt with people in in work situations and and also through through my studies that are in positions of power who enjoy their power, and um and then would and then I'm sorry they abuse their power and ab absolutely abuse it and 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 because I didn't necessarily jump and just I wasn't kind of I didn't react to to, to the way they wanted then that led them to do more, to try and, to try and, to, to try and mess around and mess with, with someone. Um, and, and that can be really daunting. It can be really exhausting to have to deal with somebody, especially if you're trying to, for example, if I'm in, if I'm in grad school and I, this happened, I was in grad school and I was trying to achieve my degree and this person was doing everything that she could to try and derail, stop, stop, just stifle my entire progress. And, and was upset because I wasn't reacting to how she was because she wasn't the almighty, almighty powerful person. And right. it, got, it, got pretty, it got pretty bad. So, so how, here's how you handle that situation. Uh -huh. You gotta have a conversation. You gotta go in, you gotta go in and sit down and, and say, what's going on here? Yes. And get them to start talking. And, uh -huh. and, and you say something, what in your life experience has brought you to the place where you are today where 
you act the way that you act towards students. I'm just <laughs> and then as they start to talk, tell me about how you, tell me about your experience getting your degree and becoming an academic and a scholar. Mm. I'm really in your story. They start telling your story and now all you do is you epic label them. Oh, so you were really sad. Oh, you were really angry. Oh, you were really pissed off. Oh, you got, were mistreated by your professor. Oh, you were raped by your, you know, your, 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 mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, and that happens a lot, right? So you learn that this anger comes from really bad trauma and you simply reflect back their emotional experience. And as you do that, mm -hmm. they calm down. I hear you. I, and I agree with you, but I think, I think definitely there's, there's a, if there's a power dynamic, it's difficult to get beyond that. I even get the person in the room to even ask them those questions and feel like they need to actually respond. I, 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 I am not, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I am you know. not saying that this is easy work. It, <laughs> yes. it does, well, it, it works, it's powerful, but you're right. When there are power dynamics and you feel like you don't have power, it takes a tremendous amount of courage. Yes. Well, you know what? She lost. I got my PhD. <laughs> so, yeah. I said she lost. I got my degree. So I, I moved, I moved yeah. on. So, so there you go. But, but, I mean, Michael, but, but, but what you face, a lot of young people face, where they're dealing with adults who have, apparently have the power to, to um, withhold resources or yes. withhold, withhold benefits. And one of the things that I teach when I'm coaching people is I teach them how to evaluate the power resources. Evaluate what your own power resources are and look at what the power resources are of the person who's abusing you. Exactly. And you can figure out a way to make whatever power resource they have unimportant to you. Mm -hmm. The moment you do that, they no longer have power over you. Exactly. I'm, so I'm with you. You have to do some thinking about that and think about what, what does this person have that I need uh -huh. that I can't get anywhere else? And most of the time you'll find they don't have anything that I need. Exactly. Right. And I'll go around you, above you, wherever I need to do to get, to get, to get what you'll, just, you'll just become irrelevant to me because exactly. whatever kind of resource you think you have. There you go. You don't have. There you go. So what is the lesson here? Cause I, I try to teach my girls this. My girls are 14 and, and 12 and I just try to, I try to teach them. I try, I don't try to, I tell them that regardless of whether, regardless of age, be respectful, but it does not mean you have to be anybody's punching bag. It doesn't mean you have to take anybody's abuse because, because they are growing adults. And back to your, how we started the conversation about trauma being impacted on children, um, you know, they, they have to be taught the tools with which to, to, to address right. those kind of issues. Because there are a lot of angry adults who just That's will right. just do to so, anyone, regardless of age. So they're at a perfect age to start learning the new adult rules. Mm. And so mm -hmm. I would say at 12 years old is perfect. 14 year olds is perfect. You've got one in eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, one going into high school. Yeah. Perfect. So now you sit down and say, okay, we're going to start role-playing how to deal with different kinds of people that you're going to meet as you're growing up. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about what you see and how you're going to respond to it. And we're going to practice these new rules and these new ways of being until you got it. And then you're going to go out and practice it in the real world with your friends and the people you meet and come back and talk to me about how it all worked for you, what worked and what didn't work. And you become their coach, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their adult coach, not their childhood coach. There you go. There you go. And you teach them how to de-escalate. You teach them how to pitch their voice. You teach them how to use tonality. You teach them not to use rising inflection. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that right? You like me? That supplicant <laughs> rising inflection that girls pick up because they're really insecure destroys their power. Mm -hmm. mm. Fascinating. Them, oh, you always talk with a downward inflection. Don't speak from your throat. Speak from your belly. I Stand love that. Up. Stand up. Hold your power. Be rooted and grounded. Mm. You have to teach children how to do this. They are not going to learn it by themselves. Absolutely. That's the role of a positive adult is to teach them these skills. 
And especially for girls, if they, if they learn that, especially, sorry, boys can get abused as well, of course. That's but right. if, girl, if, girls, if, you can, if you can teach to your girls at 12 and 14 and have them practice it for six months, they will be different human beings. Yes. And yes. their success will be guaranteed. And less, and less likely to be, to be targeted by, by people who are abusive. Absolutely. Because they have that, that shield and, and those, those, those behaviors. Absolutely. Those tools. And, then you, and, and at this age, you know, the hormones are starting to come online. We're starting to move into adolescence and become, pub, uh, you know, moving into puberty. And of course, that's a horrible time of life for most people. But mm -hmm. here's where you can take that and say, you're going to go through the next six or seven years where things are going to be really screwball. Mm -hmm. and, and so here's what's going to happen. Here's what you're going to feel. It's all normal, but it's a mess. And here's how you navigate it. Yes. I love that. So Doug, don't do that with children. It wasn't done to me. And, and we need to do that. We need to tell them the truth. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree with you. So, so, so what, what, is, what, are, what are the takeaways for this conversation? And I, I've, I've so enjoyed this conversation with you. What are the takeaways? Well, takeaways are number one. We're not 80% emotional, 2% rational. Do not use rationality to solve problems. Mm -hmm. Emotional problems. Two, learn how to read emotions and reflect them back with a simple use statement. I call it listening other people into existence. That is the greatest gift one human being can give to another. Just learn the simple skill. Love that. And, and once you start practicing this skill, your life will transform. Because after you've practiced it on other people for a couple of months, you will start validating your own emotions. You <laughs> and go. all the trauma that you suffered will start to diminish in its intensity because you'll be able to recognize, I feel shame right now. I, f I just have a memory that brings up shame or brings up humiliation or embarrassment. Or I feel frightened right now. And there's just something in your environment that triggered a memory from a traumatic memory from the past that comes up. And maybe in the past it was overwhelming, but once you start to label it, it yes. loses its punch. So, so, um, so, okay. So sometimes people, like you just mentioned that I feel afraid, I feel shame, I feel um, another emotion you shared. Yes, right. But some people just experience it as just, well, anger, they, anger, they, they just think it's just anger as opposed to differentiating what exactly That's the difference between emotional categorization and granularization. Mm -hmm. The more granular we can become in how we describe our emotions, yes. the more powerful we can help ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is based on the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett out of Northeastern University. And she's, she's got this whole theory called the constructive theory of emotions, which is just brilliant about how it works. And, and uh, her work is, is just mind blowing in terms of the implications of what she's discovered as a neuroscientist. And so, we, when, we're, when we're affect labeling or when we're de-escalating, what we are literally doing is lending our prefrontal cortex to the angry person because in that moment, they can't process that emotion. Their prefrontal yes. cortex is shut down. Mm -hmm. When we label the emotions for them, we are helping them process the emotion. This is what the mm -hmm. study showed, essentially. Yes. And so for about 30 or 40 seconds, we loan them our prefrontal cortex, allow them to process the emotions with our help because we're labeling their emotions for them, uh -huh. categorizing and granularizing. That causes the emotional reaction to, to quiet and the prefrontal cortex to come back on so they can they can go back into problem solving fascinating fascinating i love that it works every time because 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 nobody, nobody wants to be called angry not true not true really not, i am not i am when i say I, when i say dion you're really angry you're really pissed off in fact you're enraged uh -huh. and you feel and you feel like nobody's listening to you you feel like you're completely unheard you've been treated completely unfairly and you feel you're a little bit anxious around it because you don't know what you're going to do you don't have a solution to the problem and you feel a lot of sadness because you're completely abandoned and you feel like you're all alone and nobody's there with you 
Mm. I went through all the layers. There are six layers. I went through all those layers. And when I do that, I'm touching you at all these different points. I'm touching your brain at all these different points. And they resonate with me. And you might say, well, I'm not sad. I'm just, I just feel a little unhappy. Oh, so you're really unhappy. So notice how if, if you correct me, I'm helping you process your emotions. Okay, because I said that because earlier you said, if you say to somebody, um, my, you're very angry, then that kind of diffuses the situation and it gets them out of the anger. So, That's right. so it has to be followed with. Well, if you're going to be really effective, you want to go through the layers because the anger is only the top level emotion. Under, yes. I can guarantee you that whenever you see anger, <coughs> underneath it is an existential abandonment and not right. being wrong. Some kind of fear or but something. Work through the layers. And, and, and it, oh, it, it's always contextual. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. And how still you are. And so there are a lot of variables. But I've watched teachers, I've taught this to teachers in the classroom, in middle school and high school teachers, and their classroom control problems go away. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll bet. Absolutely. I took teachers who had a high, high referral rate to administration for problem, problem students. Mm -hmm. Not the student, the problem was the teacher. Once the teacher learned how to listen to the student's emotions and de-escalate them, no more referrals. See it again. That's, and that's how I got into this work as a, as a high school teacher and recognizing what's going on in classrooms and uh, kids being labeled animals and whatever. And, and the issue was the teacher. That's and right. not having the tools with which to address matters. And, and teachers are just as traumatized as their kids are. Exactly. Absolutely. They were all traumatized. Love it. I love it. I love what you're doing. So how can people find you, Doug? DougNoll.com. Oh, very easy and simple. <laughs> O-U-G-N-O-L-L.com. Awesome. And uh, so, that's, so it's been really great to have you on today, and it's such an important topic. And uh, I'll be curious to know how your training goes in con at Congress. Well, we'll see. You know, I mean, I'm, 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 hope I'm hopeful that they're smart people. They're really engaged. And I hope that what I have to offer them, will, they will find useful. I'm sure. And, and you're, you're very convincing, obviously, and you know your stuff. And, and um, uh, it's, um, you, you've um, taught us all some great things today. So thank you so much for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please reach out to Doug, uh, either for comments on the show and also to, to hire him. He's amazing. And uh, if you enjoyed the show as well, please go to my iTunes page, write a comment, reach out to me as well. Thank you so much, Mr. Doug Noel. Take care. All right. See you later. Thank you. Thank you.